0: Good afternoon. Um, in a country that boasts about all the cool medical technologies it creates and exports to the rest of the world, it may sound odd that the experts are worried about the quality of healthcare in the US. But a look at the evidence suggests that for all the money, or for all the times that we go to the doctor, for all the money that we spend on medical care. Um, Americans receive the best, care, the best available care only about half of the time. And, it, and whether you have health insurance doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Uh, Now, it's not that patients should always get what the experts say that they should, but the fact that Americans only get it half of the time suggests that, uh, or at least many of us suspect, that quality is lower than it should be and that we are, as the economists say, leaving money on the table. My name is Michael Cannon. I'm our Director of Health Policy Studies here at the Cato Institute, and I wanted to thank you all for coming here today um, uh, for this discussion about uh, one idea for improving the quality of medical care and its application to one area of our healthcare sector. That idea is called pay for performance, but it's really a specific type of paying for performance where the insurer creates financial incentives um, uh, that encourage the provider of healthcare to provide high-quality care. And we'll be talking about applying that idea to Medicare, the federal health program that covers 400, I'm sorry, 40 million Americans uh, who are either elderly or disabled uh, and is the larger, largest purchaser of medical care in the U.S., uh, as, Cato, as the Cato Institute's adjunct scholar David Hyman writes in this book, Medicare Meets Mephistopheles, which will be available for purchase after the forum, um, Medicare has its own quality uh, problems. Applying pay for performance to Medicare is right now one of the hottest topics in health policy and was recently endorsed by uh, the Institute of Medicine. Now here to discuss this issue with us are four leaders in the field of uh, health policy and pay for performance in particular. Leading off our discussion will be, uh, at my far left, Dr. Uh, Professor David Cutler. Professor Cutler is Yato Otto Eckstein Professor of Applied Economics at Harvard University and served on the Council of Economic Advisors and the National Economic Council during the Clinton administration. And he's the author of Your Money or Your Life, Strong Medicine for America's Healthcare System. Following Professor Cutler, we'll hear from Dr. Gail Walensky, a senior fellow at Project HOPE and a former administrator of the Medicare program. Uh, Dr. Walensky is also the co-chair of the Institute of Medicine committee that endorsed expanding pay for performance within the Medicare program. Then I'm going to jump back in with some of my thoughts on pay for performance in Medicare. And our final presenter will be Dr. Sandra Gadson. Dr. Gadson is the immediate past president of the National Medical Association, and has been a leader in that group's efforts on pay for performance. Uh, Dr. Gadson is also a practicing nephrologist and the founder of the first freestanding dialysis center in northern Indiana. After Dr. Gadson concludes, we'll uh, take questions from the audience, and then I'll invite you all to join us upstairs in our winter garden for a reception. And uh, with that, I'll turn the lecture over to Dr.
1: Cutler. Thank you very much. Um, I just observe in um, passing, I'm from Massachusetts. I worked on the Hillary Clinton health plan, and here I am at the Cato Institute. (laughs) Forget about next week. The world has changed. (laughs) I am told, uh, people used to say about here, about folks from Massachusetts, if you took all the people in Massachusetts and lined them up end to end, that would be a good thing. I want to do a little bit of an introduction about uh, pay for performance and talk a bit about um, Medicare. I should start off, though, since I am at the Cato Institute, by, t- by reminding you of what the Apostle Paul said about um, health care uh, a couple of thousand years ago. Apostle Paul said, the love of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> he was obviously a single-payer fan. <laughs> it turns out the great conservative voice in health care was George Bernard Shaw, who wrote, "The lack of money is the root of all evil," <laughs> or perhaps um, Ayn Rand had it right? So you think that money is the root of all evil? Have you ever under- wondered? Have you ever asked what is the root of all money? <laughs> so I want to. S- so let me let me dive in with two o- with with um, a couple of observations. One is that. Um, <laughs> Medical care is incredibly hit or miss. Oftentimes, it is great, and sometimes it is um, uh, it is awful. And but it is systematically systematically great and awful for in 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 some particular ways. It is great in that over time we develop lots of new ways of treating people. They're very expensive, but they're worth a lot to people. People like to live longer, healthier lives. If you ask people, what do they want to spend their money on? As we get to be a richer country, people say, "I want to live. um, I, I have enough." Of the basics of life, I want to live a long time to enjoy them and and the uh, non-monetary aspects of life. Um, So we've had a fantastic um, growth of spending, all of which has contributed to the public welfare. And then, like um, the drunk at the bar, we have a few too many. So systematically, so on top of a great system, systematically we consume too much because we have a hard time saying when. And so, so the first. error of medical care is not calling it quits soon enough. And I don't just mean at the end of life. I mean take any medical condition. There are a bunch of things for that condition which are good. Maybe there's some pills. Maybe there's a test or two. And then we do the test five times and we give seven uh, different kinds of pills and um, we go looking for a few other things as well. So we spend a lot of money where, um, where we don't, where we don't um, particularly need to, even though at core what we're doing is very good. That happens to most everybody. It's more true about the insured than the uninsured, but it's by and large most everybody. On the other side of the coin, the exact same people, while they're getting too much in some circumstances, are getting too little in other circumstances. Um, The same person who winds up um, when they have uh, chest pain, um, getting several different kinds of stress tests and a few other sorts of things, um, doesn't take diabetes medication regularly, doesn't take antihypertensive agents, doesn't um, exercise. All of these things that the person knows that the medical system can help the person out with. We know there are systematic ways of changing incentives and of doing provider-based interventions that get people to um, take better care of themselves. Those exact same people are not doing that. So people are both spending too much and spending too little. A lot of it's great, spending too much, spending too little. And so that's the, that's the real quality problem. The quality problem is not the way that I was taught it in Economics 10, which is because of moral hazard in insurance, people um, use too much care systematically, and the biggest problem is figuring out how to use less. Nor is it what, a, what one teaches in health policy 10 at a school of public health, which is the biggest issue is uninsured people and getting them to use more care. It's rather that each of us get the, get the, get the wrong mix. What do you do about that? There are two basic strategies. One strategy is to make consumers more in charge by increasing the, the, the information and the cost that consumers pay. This is something that in this room has probably been discussed at great length, so I'm actually not going to have anything more to say about it other than to say that I think the more interesting strategy is the second one, which is to say um, to pay the providers differently, to say, look, we know systematically some things are good and systematically some things are bad, why do we pay the same amount for the things that are done right and for the things that are done poorly? In fact, if anything, in medical care, you get paid more for things that are done poorly than things that are done well. If you have a patient who comes into the hospital with um, congestive heart failure and you manage to get the patient infected, congratulations, you get more money if you're the hospital. Now, you also bear additional costs, and it's probably not worth it, but still you sort of ask yourself the question, gee, when I go to buy a car, if the car doesn't work or it's broken, I don't actually give the auto dealer more money so that he can give me a better car you sort of say gee if anything i should pay less for it but in medical care the opposite is true in fact there are only two two industries in the entire economy i can think of where doing a better job doesn't result in more revenue one is healthcare and the other is public schools and there's a reason why we think of the quality in each of those as being relatively mixed so so the so so the basic tenet that i have and i call it a tenet it's it's a you know, as In healthcare, a lot, of, a lot of what people believe is religious belief. That is, they, 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 because their theory tells them something, they accept it as true, and I want to try to avoid that here. Um, the, but the, 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 the observation is that money drives a lot of what's done, and, um, and therefore, if we did a better job of paying for good quality and not bad quality, we would wind up systematically with good quality and not bad quality. That means that we ought to measure um, performance, and we ought to do payment on that basis writ large. Okay. As a statement, I I suspect that most of you will find that relatively unobjectionable. To the extent that people don't like it, it really has to do with can you actually measure it? Can you do it properly? Will you create as many problems by implementing something like that as you um, solve by doing it well? So, for example, if you're not measuring outcomes well, um, if, let's say, you're just paying doctors for selecting healthy patients, then you'll wind up with a medical system where healthy patients will find it easy to get access to care and sick patients will not. So, the fundamental issue about this is not the idea that paying more for a good job is a bad idea. it's that paying more when you're not completely certain exactly what is a good job um, you may live to regret it and the truth is we won't know that until we try it and so that's partly brings up the issue of Medicare. I will just say um, in talking about performance, there are a number of different dimensions to to performance one. One measure which we can come up with sometimes is actual clinical outcomes. For example, risk-adjusted mortality rates for a hospital who, that's doing bypass surgery. In fact, a number of states, New York State, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, and a couple of others actually collect data on every patient who had bypass surgery in every hospital. They require reporting of the clinical risk characteristics for the patients, and then they come up with rankings about, um, uh, about uh, how good the different, uh, the different providers are, and then they release them. The public knows a small amount, not a great deal, about them. The local newspapers find out about them. The boards of directors find out about them. And they seem to get underperforming hospitals to improve somewhat. Bill Clinton had surgery in New York State. There are 32 hospitals in New York State. They're all ranked by the State Department of Health, with number one being the best and number, two being the, number 32 being the worst. President Clinton, former President Clinton, no doubt on the advice of his Cato Institute doctors, went to hospital number 32. It probably improved a bit since the rankings had, uh, had come out. So that's one, one possible measure. Um, we also know various process measures, things like if patients with, um, uh, with diabetes uh, get their eyes examined once a year, you're more likely to spot blindness coming early on. If they get their extremities examined, you're more likely to be able to prevent amputations. Um, if they take their medications, their, their cholesterol will be under better control and their blood pressure and their, their, their blood sugar levels and so on. Um, so there are various process measures that we can come up with. One, one of the things about as you get into process measures, it involves more about what the physici- what the physician and the patient do rather than just what the doctor um, does. And so you have to decide where to draw the line in terms of we know that if a doctor we know there are things a doctor can do to take to get a patient to take medication and to come in, but we also know that some of that's under the um, control of the patient as well. And so so it's 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 a little bit of a difficult issue. But let me just 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 note it and keep going. And then finally, we have measures of patient satisfaction. Did the patient actually enjoy the experience or not? Currently, the the only use of these is at a very gross measure. If a surgeon is really bad, he or she might be um, uh, thrown out of the medical club, although that's that's very um, strict. Some insurers might not cover... Uh, Institutions that are not great, but that's again very loose. The net impact is basically the the playing field is open to virtually all providers. Increasingly so since managed care has deteriorated, so there's relatively little incentive to um, uh, to uh, to 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 really work on quality. And we find that the quality record is haphazard and remains haphazard. So um, uh, so it seems to me obvious we should do something. Then then the question is why Medicare. Why should Medicare do something? And let me just... I just want to make a couple of observations. One observation is that changing quality in medical care has an enormous fixed cost. So if you want a doctor to... um, let's say treat diabetic patients better, it probably involves a computer system where he or she can track what's going on. It involves special nurses who will coordinate with the patients about routine matters. It involves making sure that when the patient has gone to a specialist, the results actually come back somewhere. So there's a very big fixed cost in improving quality. That means that it's going to be very hard for a small segment of the market to do it well. So if you think about an insurer with 20% of the population roughly five insurers in a town including Medicare and Medicaid. Deciding to pay 20% more to doctors who do a good job taking care of diabetics. That would be a 4% increase in revenue. That's not enough to motivate someone to completely change the nature of the practice. You've got to get the big gorilla involved. You've got to get a lot of money involved if you're going to overcome fixed costs. An enormous part of the money is in the public sector, Medicare and Medicaid. So leaving Medicare outside of a pay for performance system strikes me as just um, a recipe for finding that, by and large, it's, it's not as successful as it could be. We have to balance, obviously, the potential for um, harmful outcomes. But, it's, but it strikes me that if one says um, off the bat no to having the biggest single payer in the system, um, that's almost like saying you you want to set it up so that the odds of success are you know ten percent or less so that's one um, uh, that's uh, that's that's one observation it's sort of compounded by the fact that every insurer has an incentive to free ride off other insurers paying for the computer system since all the patients would benefit from that the second th- point the second observation I would note is that I think of pay for performance as one part of a comprehensive strategy for um, health care reform, not as the sole thing you would do. And I think about um, two other parts as being important. First is information on who's doing what well and who's not doing it well. And no, no, no health reform system, whether you believe in demand-side incentives or supply-side incentives, is going to go very far unless you get that information base out there. That's again something where Medicare has been leery, but it, but it could be a big part of the, of the solution. Um, and then the third uh, leg of the stool would be information technology and um, wiring up the medical system um, making um, making uh, uh, making it be so that we can actually see what's going on and uh, and pay on that basis so 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 that so the second point I want to make is that one should not think of pay for performance in isolation or even in opposition to some of the other things that people talk about. then the final point I would make is just a question of um, how would you um Uh, pay for it, and this is probably a bit further afield than we want to go, but there is actually an obvious source of money, which is that under current um, Medicare forecasts, payments to physicians are expected to fall by about 5% a year, or rather prices to physicians are expected to fall by about 5% a year, because we have the sustainable growth rate, or as we in Massachusetts uh, outside of the Beltway call it the unsustainable growth rate, that says that when volume of procedures and services goes up, we pay doctors less. Heck, if we keep running this forward, in no time at all, doctors will be paying us to treat Medicare patients. <laughs> um, and so it's clear that, that's, that we're not going to reduce the payments by 25% over the next five years. We're going to increase them, and my thought is why, accre- why increase them across the board the way we always do and get the same outcomes we always get? Why not do something more innovative that says, look, we'll increase the payments if you're doing the right job? I just want to end on two thoughts. One thought is maybe it can't be done, maybe pay for performance, performance measurement is too hard, in which case we'll learn that, but we're only going to learn that if we experiment. And I'm a little bit concerned that if we experiment without any big payers involved, all we're going to learn is that you do small things, you get small answers, and that's not going to be very effective. The second point I want to make is particular about Medicare, that um, Medicare used to be a leader in health system change. Back in the early 1980s, Medicare um, developed, pioneered DRGs, and the private sector followed. And there were some parts of it that were bad, but by and large, I think most people were, were happy with what went along. It was clearly the right thing to do moving in that direction. I think at the broad level, most people would agree that moving in the direction of performance-based payment at some level is, is the right thing to do. and. Since the early 1980s, Medicare has become in many ways a laggard and a drag on innovation going on in the rest of the medical sector. It would be nice to bring Medicare up to where the rest of the medical sector is again so that one's not always fighting against, um, against, uh, against the, the big gorilla that's out there. Um, so that's where I wanted to open things up, and I know the, 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 the subsequent panelists will talk, will, will talk a bit more about Medicare and um, hopefully stimulate some debate. Thank you.
2: going to talk about the uh, report that was recently issued by the Institute of Medicine regarding uh, rewarding provider performance or pay for performance uh, to share with you what this uh, group of individuals uh, has recommended. Uh, But I want to end on uh, the issue that David just raised, uh, which is, uh, is Medicare likely to be able to lead or follow Uh, what do we know and how can we try to uh, juggle what is going on in the private sector and the public sector so that they can reinforce and help each other uh, as opposed to work in antagonistic ways. Um, This is what uh, the pre-publication volume at least looks like. The uh, actual publication will probably be cleaned up uh, just a little. It's the third uh, in a series of reports that are under the rubric of uh, pathways to quality health care uh, and was involving the same uh, group of individuals uh, looking at redesigning uh, health insurance benefits, performance measures, and pay for performance. It's uh, interesting and consistent uh, with what David said uh, to note that the first volume in the series was on performance measurements uh, because it became quickly clear that an interest in looking at pay for performance required some assessment about what kind of performance measures are out there, what's the state of the world with regard to performance measures, how might you want to proceed in the future, what's probably possible either technically uh, or realistically uh, in the next three to five years so that you have an idea about the potential out there because, uh, as you've already heard, uh, many of the, uh, the concerns or qualms about pay-for-performance type strategies have to do with the measurement systems and whether they are approximately robust enough or adequate enough that you are more likely to do good uh, than to do harm, and that's certainly a, a, fair, um, uh, a fair consideration. However, when it comes to Medicare... It seems to me that you could really say that the incentives have basically gotten it wrong for the last 20 years. Improved over what was previously there. That is, it is fair to say that moving to a bundled payment like DRGs where you have a single payment for a discharge made much more sense than paying on a daily basis when you know that later days had declining marginal cost so that at least you could encourage some efficiency. Uh, But that as a reward system for the institutions or the clinicians who do it well, do it right the first time, and provide the kind of services their patients want, uh, Medicare has certainly not gotten it right. Somebody who ran the program, who's chaired two congressional commissions on uh, Medicare, I feel like I'm at least as entitled to say we've gotten it wrong over this last period. Now, it's not that people haven't thought that there was something fundamentally amiss, but as you well know, the way that pricing is set up under Medicare is determined legislatively through the Congress under an administered pricing system. Uh, And the basic way it works is first in class, best in class, get paid exactly the same amount. You have further the perverse incentives that David alluded to, which is if you don't do a very good job, have complications, need to readmit people or basically clean up your mistakes, you get paid more. If you spend a little extra time with your patients, practice in a conservative manner, have good outcomes, you financially suffer. For most economists, this is not really the kind of system that you'd like to see in place, nor – when you look around the country, is it the kind of reimbursement system that you would normally see elsewhere, where first year, uh, those with great experience, those with good outcomes, those with poor outcomes, uh, all are paid the same. Once you make some adjustments for cost of living, uh, if you're a hospital, whether you have a teaching program uh, or not, uh, which is designed to reflect some cost differences experience, no allowance or adjustment for those who get the best clinical outcomes. Now, If you get one of these bundled payments, and that means hospitals and nursing homes to an extent and home care to an extent, you at least can uh, receive some benefit by being efficient if you can do better than the average. If you're a physician, you actually don't even have that possibility because the fee schedule is very disaggregated, some 7,000-plus codes on a system that goes up to uh, 9,000 or so CP2 codes. Now, I'm mentioning this, because while I was quite uh, daunted by the difficulty that it will be to change the reimbursement system so that it properly uh, is designed as a pay-for-performance system, when I would get really depressed or frustrated about all of the change that would be needed to occur, I'd think about where we are now. Uh, And it was relative to that It was hard to imagine not being able to do a better job if you did it carefully, if you phased it in, if you had a number uh, of uh, of, um, uh, ways to try to modify unintended consequences. What we are doing now, where best in class, worst in class, exactly the same amount, makes so little sense that it encouraged me and I think our group uh, to go forward. One of the primary uh, conclusions uh, of the report is that the Medicare payment system, as it is currently configured, is fundamentally broken. Uh, We are not encouraging high-quality, efficient, patient-centered care, Uh, and that is a fundamental problem, nor is it ever going to change uh, if we don't make some significant changes to how uh, Medicare reimbursement occurs. Uh, In coming up with a uh, set of of recommendations, this is a group that was made up uh, in the subcommittee of half of the people who were on a full committee and and half of the people who were asked to come join to uh, help opine on these uh, issues, Um, and then a, a set of reviewers. It obviously is not constructed to be broadly reflective uh, of what the world thinks about these issues, but at least to get a significant mix of people uh, who are physicians uh, from the payer world, from hospital administrator, those of us who are policy analysts uh, who've been in government, who've not been in uh, in government, uh, to try to um, be able to reflect uh, all of the views and insights uh, on this. So let me share with you now. Some of the, uh, uh, the recommendations, it starts by acknowledging of all of the kinds of problems that we know exist with the healthcare system where we spend a lot of money uh, but find uh, that there are real problems in terms of both patient safety and people getting the clinically appropriate care most uh, yet alone all of the time. Uh, changing the reimbursement system is not a panacea. This is not the only kind of a change that needs to occur, but it's an important change. And, of course, for an economist, you don't really need to spend a lot of time saying uh, information is important, systems are important, making sure we uh, don't have unhelpful uh, drivers like uh, liability uh, out there is important. Uh, but incentives count, too, and that's where we're focusing on this. First thing is use a phased-in approach. Uh, We recognize that there is a lot of change that needs to occur, uh, and it ought to occur in steps. Second thing, and this is an issue that came up uh, particularly from the provider community, which is, by and large, use existing funds, set aside an amount that looks like it will begin to make some difference, Except in the case for physicians, for the reasons that David already uh, indicated, that physicians are scheduled under current law to basically be facing four or five percent reductions in prices for the next four or five years. Uh, you're going to have to put more money uh, into the pool to respond to that. Now, it's important to understand that while physicians have gotten very small price increases, Over the last four or five years, one year, the actual was reduction. Uh, In the other four previous years, there have been very small changes. It's not like spending isn't growing up by gangbusters. Uh, In the year in which prices went up 1.5%, spending under Part B went up 15%. But it's all the more frustrating because, again, the most conservatively practicing physicians, the most aggressive physicians – The physicians that have good clinical outcomes and pay attention to their patients and respond in appropriate ways get paid exactly the same amount. In fact, you can say they actually, the ones who are the ones you would like to reward the most, actually get penalized the most. They get the same fee reductions everybody else does, uh, and no way to be rewarded for the kinds of positive impacts uh, that they're doing. So we recognize need to phase in. In general, when it comes to hospitals and uh, renal dialysis and home care, we think there's enough money that's going in each year into the health care system. Special problems for uh, physicians, and and we want to acknowledge that. Um, We want to start with provider-specific pools because that's how best to try to respond. So a pool for physicians, a pool for hospitals, a pool for nursing homes. Uh, That means you're not taking away from, you're redistributing money uh, in terms of some increment. Uh, We're thinking basically of a couple percentage points, uh, what may well be the update, but not necessarily uh, in terms of Medicare payment. Ultimately, this ought to be regarded as a consolidated pool and feeds off the recommendations with regard to the performance measurement, which is we need to move away from these very siloed, very specific encounter ways of looking at how patients interact with the healthcare system, uh, and begin to construct measures that look at all of the people and institutions that touch a patient for a an episode of illness. And when it comes to uh, chronic care, which is a big part of healthcare cost, uh, to do it over some defined time period. But we are where we are, so we recognize that both for performance. Measurements and for payments, we're going to need to start a, a physician encounter. Uh, Physicians separate from hospitals, separate from nursing homes, uh, but be able to ultimately across uh, these silos. Um, we need to make sure that it's not just efficiency that's rewarded, not just quality uh, that's rewarded if you think. Uh, These three areas, patient-centeredness, quality, and efficiency, are important. You better reward for all three, or don't be surprised when you drive the system uh, only to one direction. All the docs uh, on the group were worried, uh, and nurses and other clinicians, were worried that we would only reward for efficiency. All the economists said, all the attention (coughs) has been on having quality measurements. We're worried you're only going to reward on quality and drive-up spending yet more Uh, The point really is you really need to reward on those things that you want to encourage. Initially, you need to recognize it's both improvement and attainment. Uh, Those that do very well, but you need to be able to reward for improvement. Ultimately, we would like to have the improvement get a little less of a weight, uh, and we would hope that the very bottom tier uh, gets forced up over time or forced out. Whether or not there will be the political will to do that uh, is a, another discussion. Uh, it's important to start uh, rewarding uh, the reporting of quality information. I have to admit I've had somewhat of a change of heart. Uh, initially, when the Medicare managed uh, the Medicare monetization uh, bill was passed in 2003, which gave hospitals uh, a monetary incentive for rewarding uh, quality data. My attitude is. You can give them incentive. you want to get money from Medicare, report the quality data. Uh, don't give them more. But I have to admit that the numbers uh, pre the incentive uh, were running a little under 50%, and now it's about 98.5%. So if we voided this long, two more years won't hurt. Have the initial uh, incentive be to report quality information and then move to actually rewarding uh, for performance. Uh, but I'll uh, concede to starting there. Um We need to make sure the information is transparent and publicly available. Uh, This is important so that physicians in hospitals and nursing homes know how they stack up, but patients need to know so they can make good decisions. Other payers need to be able to know as well. Having data uh, very transparent uh, is extremely important. We want to try to get all providers who are participating in Medicare to be able to do this, and it means being sensitive. That some groups are much farther along than other groups. Uh, Medpac had reported in their paper performance that hospitals, uh, renal dialysis, uh, home care, managed care plans are pretty much ready to go now. Physicians are uh, in a little more delicate state. Some physician groups have been very forward thinking in trying to do measurements and actually push uh, their own quality and outcomes data society for thoracic surgeons has been very aggressive in this area the american college of cardiology has been quite active some areas of medicine have basically been pretending that all of this will go away if they ignore it long enough uh, they're going to need a little more time our recommendation is develop for 3 years the reporting of measures Uh, give time to have interaction between physicians uh, and the government in terms of having this reporting, then assess whether it's time to go uh, forward in a mandatory type of way. Um, HIT is important, but we would like to not have this uh, health information systems. Uh, We want to make sure that health information systems are not used uh, to hold (laughs) hostage pay for performance. We think when you're paying in this way rewarding for clinical outcome, and as this becomes a much more prevalent part uh, of the reimbursement, you will have a lot of incentive to adopt the kinds of systems like health information technology that will allow you uh, to more easily report this information. We're very nervous about having movement on one uh, determine the movement on other. Uh, And then finally, something called active learning. Uh, And that is the realization that we are going to be learning a lot as we go along. We're going to have to allow for adjustments. We're going to have to make those adjustments. Um, I'm almost out of time, but let me just share a couple observations uh, on this. Where can Medicare lead and where can Medicare follow? Medicare can do a lot with regard to the development of these measures, uh, sponsoring groups outside of government to do this work, disseminating information. I think it may be able... Uh, because of the pressure on physicians to use the quid pro quo of if we are going to bail out physicians from the current c- congressionally created problem, uh, we want something in return and this is the return we want. In general it's my observation that government can do least well payment paying uh, groups differentially and so I'd like to qualify what David said by pointing out that DRGs and RBRVS The way we pay hospitals And the way we pay physicians For those of you who are not healthcare aficionados Are pseudoscience To make it look like it's scientifically determined But the upshot is Once you make the adjustments for cost of living and Whether you're an academic uh, teaching center uh, Or the share of labor or whatever Everybody's paid exactly the same Which is a great source of comfort to government By nature This type of system is going to mean paying differentially what is nominally the same service provided at different quality or efficiency levels. And that's going to be much tougher for government if it's not being done also in the private sector. Now, fortunately, the private sector is bailing out government in this because there are over 100 pay-for-performance experiments that are going on in the the private sector right now, some very interesting and very innovative. So this jockeying back and forth about where can the government lead, where can Medicare lead in particular, which is important because it can drive a lot of change. It's a big payer. You can't ignore the 800-pound gorilla. But recognizing that for government to do this, if it's not becoming a well-accepted, and used type of system in the private sector is going to be very difficult. And, oh, yeah, we do recognize, by the way, we're going to drive the physicians and hospitals bonkers if we can't come up with the same system, at least for measurement, not necessarily for, pa- for payment, but at least for measurement. So that's one more argument for going forward together in this. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Dr. Wolenski. Um, there's a lot to be said about this topic, and I'm only going to try to make a few points and then hope that I get asked all the questions that I want to be asked during um, question and answer period. Um, it's a tricky thing for someone, uh, for anyone, to define quality for anyone other than themselves. And uh, it's true that uh, patients usually don't know what the evidence has to say about what types of medical care produce the greatest health gains. So obviously there 's uh, there's some role for experts to be, uh, to be uh, helping um, uh, promote quality care, but at the same time, um, the patient and her doctor usually know things that the expert does not, so even when the evidence is pointing in one direction, the patient and their doctor and her doctor may have information <laughs> that 's pointing in another. Uh, to paraphrase Mary Tinetti of Yale Medical School, sometimes doctors are right to deviate from what the experts say is best. Uh, based on their knowledge of a patient's characteristics or preferences. And it's really hard to distinguish the appropriate deviations from the inappropriate deviations. Now having said that, I come here today not to bury pay for performance, but to save it. I don't, uh, my aim is not to stop pay for performance from being introduced into Medicare, but really to stop Medicare from being introduced into pay for performance. Um, and uh, to that end, I want to argue three things. First, that pay for performance is most likely to improve the quality of care for seniors if we employ a diversity of approaches from which seniors are able to choose. Second, uh, that pay for performance is likely to end up costing us money and even harming seniors uh, if it is run by uh, Medicare itself. And third, uh, that uh, if we're serious about improving quality, we really need to expand our understanding of what pay for performance is and how to pay for performance. So let me begin by explaining uh, one way that a pay for performance uh, program can create a perverse incentive uh, that could reduce the quality of care or access to care for, for some patients. Suppose an insurer wants to make sure that uh, patients who have suffered heart attacks get beta blockers. This is a common pay-for-performance uh, measure um, for which private insurers are trying to uh, reward doctors uh, because uh, beta blockers are proven, they're proven to increase survival after heart attacks. Well, uh, what about the case of a patient who is, say, and this is an example that I use in the paper that you were given, um, and it's not my example, I cite it there, Uh, a patient who's who's 73 years old, she's already on 11 different medications, and every time she uh, takes a beta blocker she feels dizzy, she feels weak, uh, which is a a sometimes side effect of of, uh, beta blockers. Now, that patient decides that she would rather face the, the small added risk of having a second heart attack in the next uh, decade. Um, she would rather face that risk than have to feel this way all the time. Um, here, that pay, the pay-for-performance incentive that encourages the doctor to uh, prescribe that beta blocker for her uh, creates a perverse incentive for the physician uh, to uh, administer what is undoubtedly low quality care what the, you know something that the patient feels makes uh, would leave her worse off now these conflicts between what the evidence recommends and what is in the interest of uh, patients are actually more likely to occur in Medicare. There are a couple reasons for that one of them is that uh, Medicare patients are more likely to have these uh, uh, comorbidities or multiple illnesses um, yeah and Yet most evidence-based recommendations are based on studies that don't take those sorts of comorbidities into account. So one doctor that uh, uh, follows uh, the clinical practice guidelines for every comorbidity the patient ha- comorbidity that a patient has can end up making multiple prescriptions uh, for the same patient. They, that patient could end up on an 11 drug regimen, uh, which increases the likelihood that uh, one of those uh, drugs is going to provide negative benefit for her, and also increases the likelihood of uh, adverse drug interactions. Um, so a pay for performance system for uh, seniors, I'm sorry, so penalizing providers for, for, for deviating from uh, clinical practice guidelines for each one of those comorbidities, um, effectively um, for providing high quality care for such patients could also create access problems for the, for those patients. If uh, if it becomes a financial liability for the provider to see those kinds of patients, uh, you can expect uh, uh, we can expect the providers may try to avoid such patients. And there are other examples of um, pay for performance financial incentives and uh, that uh, would encourage providers to turn some patients into what one observer refers to as medical hot potatoes. Now, this is none of this is. to... St- Uh, meant to say that pay-for-performance is a bad idea for seniors. I think that it can do a lot of good to improve the quality of care for many seniors. But it does suggest that when a third party uh, is trying to determine quality for a broad uh, and diverse group of patients, there are going to be outliers who don't fit that definition. And those outliers should have the option of opting out of uh, this pay-for-performance program. Particularly when the incentives that create uh, uh, the those when when the financial incentives that create that uh, perverse incentive for physicians to provide them low quality care is completely opaque to the patient. These financial incentives uh, uh, the, the patient may not even be aware of the financial and probably isn't aware of the financial incentives that the provider faces. Um, now in traditional Medicare, however, that, that would be impo- near impossible for uh, many uh, uh, patients to opt out of a pay for performance program. If we have a pay for performance program that's administered by the centers for Medicare and Medicare services. Um, seniors can obtain uh, Medicare coverage in basically two ways. There's the traditional Medicare program, which covers about 37 million seniors. Uh, then there's the Medicare Advantage program, which covers the rest, about 7 million, I think. Um, now, not all seniors have access to a Medicare Advantage plan. Uh, so, those seniors who uh, so if Medicare adopts and administers a pay-for-performance program, those seniors who are harmed by these sorts of perverse incentives, uh, many of them would not be able to opt out of the traditional Medicare program and into a Medicare Advantage plan. Moreover, even if they could opt out of the traditional Medicare plan and go for a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, it's likely that those plans are going to adopt the very pay-for-performance system that Medicare administers. Why would one of those uh, private insurers that contracts with Medicare to provide uh, Medicare benefits through Medicare Advantage? Why would they undertake the extra expense of uh, developing their own pay-for-performance system um, uh, when Medicare is going to do that for them? Um, uh, and we'd likely see the same thing in the private. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, the uh, the non-medical the uh, in health insurance plans for non-elderly citizens. So a better option, I would argue, would be instead to allow pay for performance into Medicare but to confine it to those Medicare Advantage plans where you have different private insurers contracting with Medicare to provide benefits and where they can experiment with their own pay for performance programs. through a process of trial and error, they'll be able to learn from each other's successes and failures. And importantly, uh, seniors who participate in those programs, uh, if they feel that they are being harmed, and the you know, doctor talks to them about uh, how your insurer is really, um, I think, you know, selling you short and providing, encouraging me to provide you low quality care, they would have the option to switch out of those programs. Um, We don't know what sorts of pay-for-performance tools work best. We don't know where pay-for-performance will create uh, these perverse incentives, although we have some idea. We have precious little information about how much pay-for-performance programs cost. And we have almost no evidence that they even work. And therefore, we have no way of evaluating whether provider-focused financial incentives administered by a third-party uh, by third-party insurers will produce equality gains that are worth worth the added cost of administering these programs. It's really uh, sort of an emperor the emperor has no clothes moment when we uh, when you stop to consider how little we know about how these programs work and um, about how well they work and how little we know about how much they cost. Uh, we, we there's uh, there's very little data on either of these issues, and yet a lot of people want um, uh, Medicare uh, to run whole hog into, the, uh, into pay for performance. Now, the Institute of Medicine uh, report does not suggest that. Um, but there are those uh, who do want uh, Medicare to, um, uh, to make an even bigger push uh, for pay for performance. So for these and other reasons, I think it's important that uh, Medicare take the cautious approach of limiting pay for performance to uh, private Medicare Advantage plans where it will continue to benefit from the learning process that it's seen so far. Now all the unknowns that we uh, face uh, about pay for performance bring me to my final point, which is that if we're serious about improving quality, we have to expand what is our understanding of pay for performance. When seniors enter the marketplace, uh, the medical marketplace, to purchase either healthcare or to purchase uh, 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 coverage, they're largely spending someone else's money. That reduces the incentive of every senior to demand quality, either from their health plan or from a provider, because no one spends someone else's money as carefully as they spend their own. No one demands as much information about quality when it's someone else's money as as when uh, they're spending their own money. And the the pursuit of quality medical care for seniors, I think, has to go beyond the idea of having a third party payer decide what constitutes quality to consideration of reforms that give seniors one, ownership over the money that's at stake, and therefore, two, um, a much greater incentive to demand quality than they have today. Managed care failed in its pursuit to contain costs, I, I would argue, because it failed to enlist patients in the effort. And I would hate to see it pay for performance, uh, suffer the same death. Thanks. Uh, sorry, suffer the same death, but suffer the same setbacks. Thank you.
3: Good afternoon. I'm trying to get this mic. I think I have it here. I am Sandra Gatson. and I am immediate past president of the National Medical Association. First, let me thank uh, Mr. Cannon and the staff at uh, Cato Institute for an outstanding uh, symposium that talks about pay for performance. I am now actually the chair of the task force that is dealing with pay for performance. And it's been uh, really a burning issue within the National Medical Association uh, ever since, I guess, it came hot off the press back in '04, perhaps even prior to that. We have, the, as you know, the National Medical Association is the oldest uh, African-American health uh, care organization in this country. Uh, it represents over 35,000 African-American physicians and the patients that they serve. So there's a great concern with regards to pay for performance. And being a practicing physician, um, we, saw it, we see it from another angle, and perhaps in the uh, question and answer period I will talk about that because I'm a nephrologist, take care of people on dialysis, so I see patients at the end of the spectrum so if we had perhaps better preventive care, I wouldn't see as many patients at the end of the spectrum, and I don't think we really address that when we talk about health care and health care delivery. The NMA remains committed to the highest quality care for all patients and to the optimal delivery of such care under all circumstances. Quality improvement is an important goal for our nation's healthcare care system, and that's what we've been been talking about today. But policy initiatives designed to achieve this goal have to carefully scrutinize their potential effect on minority populations, the underserved population, the uninsured population, and of course uh, the Medicare population. In this regard, pay for performance is a carrot and a stick concept that brings cause for concern. In its evolving form, it offers bonuses for high performers while tightening the purse string for everybody else. This may be a viable approach for improving the quality of widgets produced in a factory, but it will certainly play out very differently when dealing with patients, particularly the populations with the highest rates of morbidity and mortality in this country. I want to share just a few uh, points before I talk about the system of pay for performance. A cursory comparison of black and white populations shows that these groups bring substantially different health profiles to the clinical spectrum. Significant racial disparities exist in health status, health system quality and access, health care utilization, as well as patient compliance. Let me just mention that in terms of disparities black Americans lead the nation in 12 of the top 15 leading causes of death. That includes heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and kidney disease. When we look further, we look at the racial disparities among the uninsured. In 2004, there was one out of every three Hispanics. And one out of every five blacks compared to one out of every ten whites who was uninsured. The uninsured have worse health and higher morbidity compared to the insured. The uninsured are also more likely to forgo needed care and obtain inadequate care for even the most serious illnesses, including end stage renal disease, hypertension, diabetes, and cancer. The uninsured are also less likely to receive preventive services such as screening for breast, cervical, colorectal cancers, and many of the other issues that uh, prevail. We are concerned, therefore, when we, we believe in the healthcare safety net, and obviously Medicare is one of those. But we are concerned with regards to the pay for performance framework, that it should take in mind the millions of the individuals that will be affected by a pay for performance system first, the scientific and clinical data that constitutes the evidence base by which performance is measured should be compiled across diverse populations. In other words, case mix adjustment is a more efficient means of ensuring that physicians who see patients with greater disease burdens are not unfairly compensated relative to physicians who see healthier patients. Secondly, clinical data are probably more reliable predictors of quality improvement than are claims data. Pay for performance framework should therefore rely more heavily on the former. Third, an undesirable clinical outcome does not necessarily bespeak noncompliance by the provider. Reimbursement Mechanisms should reflect the reality that physicians in smaller practices are more likely to be inversely impacted by larger numbers of noncompliant patients, and noncompliance should be appropriately attributed. And let me just say, within our environment, the majority of physicians actually are either one two or three men and women groups. There are very few multi-specialty uh, <coughs> groups with better than 200 doctors. And I think one of the issues that concerned NMA, AMA as well, is that when the initial programs were started and the pilot programs, if you will, were started, they were geared toward better than 200 doctor groups in parts of Wisconsin suburbs of St. Louis, Raleigh-Durham area, and these were in Ann Arbor, I think, was another area. And I I singled those out because they were huge multi-specialty groups who had all the information, technology, et cetera. So, of course, when you look at that, if I can go into a a building and I can get everything that I need done in one-stop shopping, then, yeah, I probably will have better outcomes than if I've got to run all over town to go from the doctor's office to the hospital to get lab work and et cetera done. So these were concerns when we looked at the whole makeup of how pay for performance was being designed, that it did not include those doctors who are private, uh, single, uh, I should say, solo practitioners, or who are in two or three man groups. The design, implementation, and evaluation of pay for performance framework should include practicing physicians with expertise in working among populations, that suffer suffer the ill effects of ethnic and racial health disparities. The NMA has recommended therefore that cultural competency standards be established as a major component of any pay for performance framework. We also say that pay for performance frameworks and the current sustainable growth rate cannot coexist. SGR must be repealed if pay-for-performance is to have any chance of sustained success. Pay-for-performance reporting requirements must be voluntary in the preliminary stage, requiring providers to report on quality measures while they are still in their infancy further compounds the challenge of systematic data collection. Health information technology is vital to this process. There must be a national commitment to providing financial and technical assistance to America's healthcare providers in order to facilitate the transition into the digital age. As I stated at the outset, I believe that pay for performance is cause for concern. The data is not in, and ultimately, the success or failure of pay for performance must be evidence based. But the concept's efficacy depends on the quality of the evidence by which performance benchmarks are determined. If minority populations are not appropriately factored into the data collection and analyses processes, then the resultant standards would not reflect the actual clinical characteristics of minority patient populations. And if physician practice patterns are not comprehensively factored into the equations, then the resultant standards pose potential danger to health care access and care for minority patients. I wanted to just interject that uh, there was some discussion about one of the, I think, the American Thoracic Society, and that they wholeheartedly bought in to pay for performance. Well, being a perf- practice a physician the differences in that is they can choose who they operate on but when a patient comes into an emergency room or into an office that doctor cannot choose especially in the emergency room setting they can't say well you know you haven't been to your doctor in 10 years and and you have your hemoglobin A1c is 15 and you haven't had any lab work and you didn't keep your appointment you got a bottle full of medicines and the date is 10 years before, they can't say we won't see you. But if we create a system with pay for performance that um, rewards uh, those who have good outcomes per se and penalizes those who uh, don't have good outcomes, then what happens? There's a shift and the patients are sent to to other places. So we feel strongly that that will actually increase the health disparities because we have a big issue with health disparities now. So in closing, I saw my five-minute mark here. It is our belief that any quality performance measurement system must be patient-focused. It must have realistic performance standards that reflect population profiles, and it must recognize physician practice patterns, and the potential impact of policy on diversity and the viability of minority physicians. So Medicare can be the leader in how pay-for-performance should look and how we should approach it. Thank you.